Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. What's your excuse for not taking God up on his invitation to his banquet? What was so important that you canceled? Or instead, are you one of the poor, crippled, blind, and lame, eternally grateful that there was room? Teaching team member Bob Cargo continues the series Parabolic Mirrors with the message, The Story of Humility and Pride, which covers Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, and chapter 7, verses 36 through 39, and 47 through 50. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Glad to have all of you here with us today. Hear the Word of God today from Luke 14, 15. Uh, and following. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn with me. You'll have an insert in your bulletin that gives you an outline of the text, and you'll see everything on the screen here. Uh, This is a little story that leads into a parable. It's a parable of Jesus' favorite topic, the kingdom of heaven, but it's also a story and a parable about your life and mine, and I'll make some comments along the way as we read. Luke 14, beginning in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him, that is Jesus, heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, let me explain what's going on here. Jesus is the home of a Pharisee, a religious leader of that day. He has been teaching on the topic of humility and pride. And that's important for us to notice that that's what he's been talking about. In that discussion of humility and pride, he has mentioned the resurrection of the righteous. And the Jews at this time believed at the end of time, at the consummation of all things, there would be the resurrection of God's people and there would be the feast of the kingdom where God would be celebrated. And so Jesus' comments in his teaching uh, prompt this man to say what he says right here. And in response to those words, Jesus tells a parable beginning in verse 16. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. In other words, he sent out sort of a save the date invitation or I'm, I'm gonna have this event, keep it in mind. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had already been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, do you notice, first of all, how lame all these excuses are? You mean you bought property and you had never seen the property? Really? Truly? You mean you bought five yoke of oxen and you had never taken them on a test drive? I mean, isn't this like a pickup truck? Don't you test drive oxen before you buy them? I got to go try them out. I already bought them. And then the third one, I'm a newlywed. I can't come to a party. I thought being a newlywed was all about parties. Parties before the wedding, parties after the wedding. That's a lame excuse. But I want you to notice something else here. In my opinion, the fact that they turned down this invitation says a lot about how they don't feel honored to be invited. It says something about their view of the host of the feast. And so, not being in a sense humble enough to say yes, the party giver sends out an invitation to some other people who will be humble enough to say yes. Verse 21 The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Now let me say, the socially elite of this day would not have wanted to have a party with the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. And it's not just because they felt uncomfortable. It was because of this. 
In that time and day, with their wrong theology, they thought that those people were morally suspect. That if you're poor or crippled or blind or lame, it's because of your sins or maybe the sins of your parents. So these were like the worst sinners among us. Bad theology, but that's what they believed. Verse 22, sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room. The master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes, in other words, outside of Jerusalem, that's important, and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of these men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now, what's the meaning of this parable? What's the imagery here? Well, first of all, this idea of having a feast is an imagery and a picture of the Christian life, of knowing Christ. You might remember that verse, Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door and invites me in, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. In other words, this is how we delight in each other. We have a meal together. And I delight in you and you delight in me. We're communing with each other in that way. But also, this is pointing ahead to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the feast of the kingdom at the end of time. It's the idea that now we are the Lord's betrothed. We are like engaged to him. But at the end of time, when Jesus comes back again, that is when the relationship will be consummated. That is when the wedding will happen. He will present us to himself pure and spotless because he has made us pure and spotless. And there will be this huge celebration of our relationship at that time. And he's talking here about that feast of the kingdom. That is what is portrayed Now, as Randy said last week when he kicked off this series about parables, every parable has one essential meaning. And the one essential meaning of this parable is this. It is the least likely whom God invites to the kingdom. It is the least likely whom God invites into his kingdom. In part, that represents here the issue of the Jewish nation and Gentiles. You see, the Jews thought that they were on the inside because they were the hardest working rule keepers. But when Jesus came along, they began to make lame excuses and not follow Jesus. And so the Lord turns and he gives the gospel, the good news of his kingdom to who? Shockingly enough, to the Gentiles. But not only to the Gentiles, to the worst sinners of the whole world, Jewish or Gentile. He offered the kingdom to the kind of people that would never have been thought to be close to God or have any chance of getting close to God. To people who were spiritually poor and blind and lame and crippled to the people that you would never think had a chance to come into God's kingdom. That's who the invitation goes to. Now let me ask you as you come here today, let me ask you in your heart of hearts, how many of us here are really honestly in our heart of hearts we would think, you know, if the people of this church and especially if the leaders of this church knew all the stuff that I've done in my life, if they knew what I was doing now in my life, there is no way they would ever accept me. I have simply messed up too badly to ever be a good Christian. My sins are too deep. My sins are too many. I am too guilty. I am too rebellious. I am too far from God ever, ever to be close to God. If that's where you are today, I've got good news for you. The Lord wants to throw a party for irreligious, far from God people like you and like me. In fact, he wants this party room to be full someday of people who the whole world would be shocked 
are the kind of people that came to the place where they belong to God. Though I've tried, I've fallen. Let me ask you, isn't that your story and isn't, isn't that my story? I'll tell you, that is my story. That's the story of every one of us. When I first uh, became familiar with this psalm that you just heard a number of years ago, it was associated at that time with a short film that portrayed a young wife who had fallen to adultery. She was having an affair, and it was a secret, but her heart is broken. She'd come to a place of hating herself and hating her life. She had put together quite a web, a web of deceit and a web of pretending and a web of guilt and a web of shame and embarrassment. This time, she knew that she had messed up so badly, and that there didn't seem any way out of it all. After I heard the song, I went online to check out the lyrics, and the verse that captured my mind the most was the last one that was sung. She says, heaven bend to take my hand. I have nowhere left to turn. I'm lost to those I thought were friends, to everyone I know. Oh, they turn their heads embarrassed, pretend that they don't see. There's one wrong step, one slip before you know it. And then she says, and there doesn't seem a way to be redeemed. When I saw that, I wanted to cry out, no, Sarah, there is a way to be redeemed. And the Redeemer's name is Jesus. The story we're going to look at is a story of a woman who felt exactly this way until she found the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus invited her to his party, and she experienced his redemption. Hear the story of what it's like to be invited to his party. Luke chapter 7, we see the story beginning in verse 36. Follow with me in a story that you can relate to, that I can relate to. It's the story of redemption. Now, one of the Pharisees, a man named Simon, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. A couple of comments. As I've already said, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of this day. The Pharisees and Jesus had a relationship that was defined by tension at the very least. The reason was the Pharisees taught explicitly what is called works righteousness. They taught that the way to have God happy with you is to be a good rule keeper of God's rules. And if you obey it sufficiently enough, God will give you his pleasure. God will smile upon you and be happy with you. And they didn't like what Jesus claimed about himself or what he taught about the kingdom of God. So we don't know exactly why this Pharisee invited Jesus to his home, but we can assume it was not to honor Jesus. It was not to learn from Jesus. It was probably to question Jesus and interrogate Jesus, to try to accuse and entrap Jesus. And Jesus comes, and they begin to eat together. Now, it says that they reclined eating. You have to understand at this time and in this culture for a party like this, you didn't sit at a table on a chair, but the table was very low, and you would recline sort of lounging and eating at the same time, with your feet thrust away from the table, and that's important for this story, leaning on your left elbow and using your right to eat. It was probably taking place in a courtyard where people passing by on the street could easily see and can easily gain access into the courtyard if they wanted to. Verse 37, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. 
What happens here is absolutely shocking, and it's shocking for three reasons. First of all, she was not invited to this guest, but she let herself in uninvited. Secondly, it's shocking because of the kind of person that she was. The text simply says that she had lived a sinful life in this town. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but probably it means that she has slept with one man after another, or lived with one man after another, or had been married to one man after another, or perhaps even that she was a prostitute. And here she walks into the home of this religious leader. That was shocking. But thirdly, it was shocking because of what she did. She is obviously someone who had encountered Jesus in his teachings before. She had believed in Jesus and trusted in him. And she had been cleansed and forgiven. And now she wanted to come and say thank you. So she brings an alabaster jar of perfume intending to anoint Jesus' feet. But as she enters the courtyard, she begins to cry. And as she comes to Jesus' feet, her tears begin to fall upon Jesus' feet. She notices that the tears are wiping the dirt off of Jesus' feet, and so she gets an idea. The idea is, I want to wash his feet with my tears. And so she bends down lower until her eyes are right on top of his feet, And the tears fall on his feet. But his feet are not going to get clean that way. And so to make sure that his feet get clean, she begins to wipe his dirty feet upon her tear-drenched cheeks until his feet are clean and her face is not. She kisses his feet. She anoints his feet with perfume. And in the original language in the Greek, it makes clear that this kept on going on. Literally, it was, she kept washing his feet with her tears, and she kept drying his feet with her hair, and she kept kissing his feet, and she kept anointing his feet with perfume. And you and I might look at that and say, how embarrassing, or maybe how totally appropriate. It all depends on how you see yourself and how you see Jesus. You might say, how humiliating, or maybe how appropriately humble for a person who knows they've been saved by the grace of their Savior. I think that this went on for a period of time in total silence until finally Simon the Pharisee, the host, thought to himself, if this man were truly a prophet, he would know the kind of woman who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Can you imagine this man? His nose is in the air, his eyebrows are up, the corners of his mouth are turned down. And in his mind and in his heart, he is judging and condemning this woman, and he is judging and condemning Jesus. We don't know whether Jesus divinely understood what this man was thinking or whether Jesus read his body language or maybe even perhaps if this man had muttered this sort of under his breath to himself. But in verse 40, Jesus addresses him and he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And the man simply says, speak on, teacher, I think rather sarcastically. And Jesus tells the story. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, that's about two years of wages, and the other 50, that's about six months of wages. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. 
Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, oh, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, now I want you to picture this. He's looking at the woman with tenderness and grace and compassion, but he's talking to Simon while he looks at her. And he says, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, but this woman from the time I entered does not stop kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. He was alluding to three customs of the day in this dirty, dusty place. When you came to someone's home, there in this place where people wore sandals in that kind of location, they would remove their sandals and you would have a servant wash their feet so that they would feel refreshed. Secondly, the handshake of the day was a kiss on the cheek, a way of saying, welcome, greetings, hello, how are you? And if the guest was an honored guest, you would have a little bit of oil and anointing on their head. Simon had done none of this for Jesus. It was probably a very public way of disrespecting and disregarding Jesus. Your feet I'm not going to have washed. You I'm not going to give a handshake when you come into my house. I'm certainly not going to anoint your head with oil. So Jesus says here, basically, Simon, I know what's in your heart, and I know what is in her heart. And the actions tell all the difference in the world. Verses 47 and 48 are absolutely amazing. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Three brief observations about this story, and they're observations about your life and mine. I hope you take them to heart. First is this. No sinner is too sinful to be invited to the king's banquet. He delights in hosting those who are the outcasts of society and who are spiritually poor and crippled and lame and blind. That's the kind of people he wants at his party. You know, it's a very hard thing to carry the secrets of sin. A number of years ago, I was talking to a man who at that time was around 80 years old. Didn't live in this town or he's not in this church or anything like that, but I was talking with him about some things in his past. He began to tell me some about some things that happened many, many years ago, more than 50 years before that in his life in relation to his brother. His younger brother had gotten in a lot of trouble with the law, trouble that led him to the penitentiary, trouble that eventually led him to be executed in the electric chair. And this man felt that he had failed his brother. And as he told me about this, he began to weep from his gut. I mean, not a little bit of tears. He cried from his gut that for over 50 years he had carried this sense of guilt. He had carried these secrets. Back in the late 1980s, there was a leader in evangelicalism named Gordon McDonald. He was the president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Before that, he'd been the pastor of Grace Chapel, probably the most notable evangelical church in the Boston area. He and his wife had written books about marriage and about relationships. He was 
so strong in so many ways. And in one interview, someone asked him, if Satan were to get at your life, Gordon, how would that happen? He says, I don't know how it would happen, but I'll tell you how it would not. It would not happen through my relationships and through my marriage. That is where I'm the strongest. Imagine how shocked many of us were to hear that Gordon McDonald was resigning from InterVarsity Christian Fellowship because of adultery. It was a one-night stand. It was a one-time event, but it was appropriate for him to step down. He went through a very long period of under guidance of other people to slowly and carefully step back into vocational ministry. He later wrote a book called Rebuilding Your Broken World. And in that book, he wrote a chapter called The Burden of Carrying Secrets. And in that chapter, he said this, the person who carries a secret has sentenced himself to a dungeon. Let me ask you today, how long have you carried your secret? How long have you been hiding how you've messed up? How deeply has it affected your life? And I want to tell you something else today. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how recently it happened or how long ago it happened. If you will come to Jesus, Jesus will gladly receive you. He loves to receive sinners who believe in him. And it doesn't matter what's in their past or what's in their present. It's the first thing we see in this. Jesus loves to receive sinners who are willing to repent and believe. He delights in having these kind of people at his banquet. The second thing we learn here is also very, very important, and that is Christ looks for faith alone. Do you notice in this passage here, Jesus does not say to this woman, your good deeds have saved you, your tears have saved you, your actions have saved you, washing my feet has saved you. No, he says to her, your faith has saved you. That's one of the most important things we believe here in our church. That being reconciled to God comes by grace alone and it comes by faith alone. And Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. The Apostle Paul put it this way in the book of Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And that's why Jesus said in the kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. There will be people who tried their hardest all their lives to be good. And relatively speaking, they were great rule keepers. Their batting average was way above everybody else's. They were never guilty of any of these heinous, horrible, scandalous kinds of things. Their sins were little ones, socially speaking. But they never saw a reason for the grace of God and the cross of Christ. Jesus says here, those that enter the kingdom will be people that no matter how badly they've messed up, They came to Jesus. He looks for faith alone. Let me recommend a book to you. It's entitled Holiness. It's written a long time ago by a guy named J.C. Rowell. He was the first Anglican bishop of Liverpool. And this is what he says about faith. He says, a special faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, his person, his work, his offices of prophet, priest, and king. This faith is the life, heart, and mainspring of Christian character. That is sanctification. The Christian sees by faith an unseen Savior who loved him, gave himself for him, paid his debts for him, bore his sins, carried his transgressions, rose again for him, and appears in heaven for him as his advocate at the right hand of God. He sees Jesus and clings to him. Oh, yes, he sees his own many sins, his weak heart, a tempting world, a busy devil. And if he looked only at them, he might well despair. 
But he sees also a mighty Savior, an interceding Savior, a sympathizing Savior. His blood, his righteousness, his everlasting priesthood. And he believes that all this is his own. He sees Jesus and casts his whole weight on him. Wow. Faith alone. And faith is casting all your weight upon Jesus. No sinner is too sinful for Jesus. He delights to welcome serious major league sinners to his banquet of grace. Secondly, Jesus looks for faith alone. And then thirdly is this, don't miss it, the experience of the king's mercy and grace results in love and all its fruit culminating in a party like the world has never seen. What does Jesus say here about this woman? He says she loves much because she knows she has been forgiven of much. Let me ask you, do you see yourself as a little, little sinner? Then you'll see Jesus as a little Savior, and you'll love him with a little love. But if you see yourself as a big sinner, then you'll see Jesus as a big Savior, and you will love him with a very, very big love. And that love, my friends, will change your life. The truth of the matter is people can try to change themselves all day long. And they can change themselves apart from religion, or they can try to change themselves by calling it religion, even calling it Christianity. But the kind of change that comes from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is the change that is born from this. I am loved by Jesus, and because I love Jesus, I want to follow Jesus. And knowing the love of Jesus, my friends, absolutely will change your life. There's a hymn, old hymn from long ago that I love. It says, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. That's old language, but basically it's saying this, because Jesus has loved me and I love him, I realize that my sins are folly. I realize how foolish my sins are, and I'm turning in my resignation about sin. Oh, I'm never going to have a perfect record until I'm in heaven. I'm never going to have a perfect day of obedience in my life until I'm in heaven. But to the best I can, to my intention, depending upon the work of the Holy Spirit in me, I want to walk away from my sin because Jesus has loved me, and therefore I love him. Randy's sermon last week about the four types of soil is so important especially for us Southerners to hear. The danger of presumption, the necessity of having a changed life and bearing spiritual fruit, the necessity of persevering in your faith, not letting the good things of life, riches and responsibilities take you off track, not having the hard things of life, persecution and affliction take you offline. Jesus is Lord over all that. If you follow him, you'll have a changed life. You absolutely will. Now, how does that sermon on fruit connect with this sermon about God accepting serious sinners? And here's how I would put it. He who has experienced grace will be changed by grace. That's the fruit Randy talked about. Yet will always and daily be in the need of grace for two things, for continued cleansing and for continued transformation. His message and my message are the same message. There's a theologian who lives in Michigan, and I'm going to read something by him in a moment that will tell you that indeed he does live in Michigan, but I like the way Cornelius Plantinga describes the change of heart and the change of life that comes by experiencing the free grace of Jesus. This is what he says. One of the strange facts of the universe is that God will never tolerate sin, but he will forgive it. 
because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we're forgiven, when God forgives and cleanses, it is as if our dark and moldy house has just had all its windows flung open to the cold June breeze. Now there's the Michigan part, okay? Here in Georgia, we don't have a cold June breeze. Jeff Foxworthy might say, he ain't from around here. You can imagine Michigan, spring comes along, they open the windows up. Corners are swept, old grease is scoured away, stairs and sashes are properly repaired. The terrible truth of self-deception is exposed to the light of the world, and we begin to come clean in ways that are full of pain and wonder. I want you to notice, that is a description of growing in holiness. That is a description of what we call sanctification. That is a description of growing in Christ, coming clean in ways that are full of pain and full of wonder, and it's fueled by knowing, believing, and feeling that you are loved by Jesus, that you are forgiven of your sins, and therefore, out of love for him, you want to be clean. I need to ask you this question today as well. Are you perhaps a person who's here, and your attitude about yourself is simply this, I started really well. I did. But along the way, I've blown it. And I have now blown it so badly as a Christian And I've blown it so often as a Christian that I don't think God's going to keep loving me. I don't think I could ever get back to where I used to be. If that's where you are, hear the words of J.C. Ryle one more time. The loving Savior is one who delights to receive sinners. Let no man be afraid of going on with Christ after he has once come to him and believed. Let him not fancy that Christ will cast him off because of failures and dismiss him into his former hopelessness on account of his infirmities. Such thoughts are entirely unwarranted by anything in the Scriptures. Jesus will never reject any servant because of feeble service and weak performance. Those whom he receives... He always keeps those whom he loves at first. He loves at last. Now, let me point out here, please, that there's a difference between feeble service and no service. There's a difference between weak performance and no performance. As Randy said last week, there's a difference between slow growth and no growth. Test yourself to see if you're of the faith. But if you're of the faith and you feel like giving up and losing heart because you've blown it, because of feeble service, weak performance, slow growth, a big mess up, then I want you to know this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is my only hope today and tomorrow. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is your only hope today and tomorrow. For every follower of Jesus, we never outgrow the need for his grace. And that brings the good news. No matter how badly you stumbled, he will pick you up. No matter how far you have fallen away, he can bring you back. And he'll never give up on you because he has bled for you and he has died for you. So don't give up either. Come back to Jesus. He still wants you at your party, at his party. At the end of time, there is going to be this great banquet. And it's going to be amazing. We're going to see him. I'm going to see my Savior face to face And he is going to say to me, Bob, come sit right here at my table. It's absolutely amazing. With all the junk in my life and in my heart, he is going to say to me, Bob, this is for you. 
You know, the Bible ends with an invitation to this banquet. It's a banquet that's been purchased by the blood of Jesus. It's been secured by the resurrection of Jesus. It's delivered by the spirit of Jesus. And someday this is going to be the banquet we're going to experience. Here, the ending of the whole Bible. This is what it says. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Someday we'll see him in person. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you. We do praise you for your wonderful grace. The heart of the matter, the truth of the matter is that every one of us are like this woman who came and anointed your feet in the sense of our need, in the sense of our unworthiness, in the sense of the pervasiveness and depth of our sin. Oh Lord, may we be like her as ones who've experienced your grace and your mercy. And may we be like her as those who would want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. May we not be arrogant enough to reject your banquet invitation. May we humbly come knowing that we are honored to be at your home. We are the ones that are crippled and blind and lame and poor. Thank you for opening the door to even us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the media resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.